Welcome back to another episode of Fine Answers. Today on the podcast, we have Mike Callahan and Joe Sacchetta, and you have myself as well. Today, we are going to dig in a little bit more about insurance and how those things can work into a financial plan and how most financial plans really need them to be successful. More specifically, we're going to talk about the different types of life insurance as well as uh, long-term care insurance and disability insurance. Yeah, so like Matt says, those are the three things that we try to focus on as part of an overall financial plan in the insurance area. Obviously, while you're working, disability insurance is something that you need to consider. You know, if something happens to you and you're not able to work, you want to make sure that you have an income stream to continue to come in. Next, you have the potential need for long-term care insurance. Obviously, that's down the road in case you have to go into a nursing home. But the sooner you buy it, the cheaper it is, but you will pay for it for the rest of your life. And lastly, life insurance. And life insurance typically plays two roles. One, it's a protection role. If, God forbid, something happens to you and your your life is cut short and you have debts and, and dependents that are depending on the income that you are bringing in during your life. And then it's also a great strategy for accumulating wealth in a potential tax-free way, and I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later in the, in the podcast. Yeah, so let's let's maybe dig into those in reverse order. Let's start with life and go from there. So with life insurance, there's, there's essentially two main umbrellas, right? There's term life insurance, and then there's whole life insurance. And then under whole life, there's a few subsidiaries. But term life insurance is sort of the, the most common, right? That's, in, in essence, you're renting that life insurance policy. So you pay a very small monthly premium. I was think I was reading earlier the average premium nowadays for about a half a million dollar policy for a healthy person is under $20 a month, right under $20 a month. So it, it's fairly cheap. And essentially, you just buy the life insurance for a certain amount of term. You pay it. And as you pay it, that every month it re-ups your policy. And if anything were to happen in between now and then, your beneficiaries would collect. So that's more so... For, I guess, younger people, right, starting out and want to protect that income stream just in case, you know, they're the breadwinner and anything happened to them. Yeah, I think, you know, that's kind of a good way to look at it, right, is the term insurance is you're renting the insurance for a certain period of time. Permanent insurance, you're basically covering yourself for the rest of your life. And to me, they kind of serve two different purposes, right? Term insurance is great for, like you said, Matt, when, when you're younger and you have a specific need for protection, it's great, right? So it's, a, a, it's perfect for that. I think the permanent insurance comes into play a little more specifically for, like Joe said, building up a cash value or in certain circumstances for estate planning, for you know those kinds of things, or for you know another reason people tend to do it is to protect your insurability for, for the rest of your life, right? Is if you take out a policy and as long as you keep paying the premiums, you have the insurance. If for some reason later on you develop some sort of illness or, or are diagnosed with something that prevents you from getting insurance in the future, you already have that policy, so it's it's, it's good to, to already have it there. But you know, to your point, term insurance tends to be more prevalent because it's it's cheaper, more affordable for younger people. You know, right. it's it fills that protection need early. Yeah, and, and the, the thing you have to remember is that term insurance primarily is only for the portion of your life where you're not expected to die. Once you get to the age where you are expected to die, they will not insure you with term insurance, and that's where you might need... Or it's super expensive. Or it's super expensive, uh, or, or you need some type of permanent insurance. Another type of permanent insurance, it's universal life insurance. And universal life insurance is kind of a hybrid between term and whole life where you don't have a cash value or much of a cash value buildup. So 
so the premiums are considerably less, but they guarantee that you'll be covered through most of your life, all of your life, maybe into the early 100s, whereas it's very difficult to have term insurance beyond maybe 80 years old. One other thing that I wanted to say about term insurance is a lot of people, when they're buying it, they they kind of have no concept of what they're going to need, right? And you almost want to do an analysis of your of your life, of your spending, your income replacement to determine how much you should buy. Because people walk into, you know, an insurance carrier and they say, oh, you can get a million dollar policy. And somebody looks at that and says, wow, a million dollars. I'll, you know, if I die, my family's going to be set for life. But that's if you're making $100,000 a year, that's essentially 10 years of replacement. And if you have young kids, the kids might not even be often, you know, doing their own thing before that money runs out. So I would say, you know, before you buy a term life policy, go talk to a, you know, financial professional or insurance carrier or something and, and have them do that needs analysis for you, figure out exactly what you do need. And it can go the other way too. somebody can walk in there that has no kids and they just have a girlfriend and a dog or something and they buy $3 million worth of insurance. It's like, you know, it's not, it's not worth it. Well, that's the biggest question, right? Is what is the, what are you, who are you insuring for, right? Like if you're a young person with no house and no significant other or spouse or anything like that, you may not really need much insurance, right? Because there's, there's nobody who's reliant on your income other than you. And if something happens to you, then that need is gone. Right. Once you have a house or a spouse or kids or anything like that, then it really comes down to, like you said, Matt, is, what is what kind of income are they going to need to replace what you did, right? And this is another place where people kind of don't don't look at it in the right way is maybe you have a situation where one spouse works and the other one doesn't. And they say, oh, well, you know, obviously we should insure the spouse that works, but the one who stays home, you know, they don't have any income to replace. Okay, well, what happens when something happens to them and you need to hire somebody to take care of the kids or, you know, whatever the the role they play, there are plenty of things that they do. And, you know, my wife's in this situation. There's a million things that she does that I don't have time to do. So if something were to happen to her, that means I got to hire people, right? It's like, I, I need help doing all those things. That's There's going to be a cost to that. Right. So what is that expense going to be for me? And how much insurance do I need to kind of generate that income every year to fill that role? Right, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, even if you don't hire people, you may have to cut back in, in your work and your income may go down to cover those specific tasks that you were talking about. So, yeah, there's definitely – you can't just focus, like you said, on you know the number on box one and the W-2 is what you're replacing. There's a value to everything else that – these different contributions that family members make. So Yeah, and I had a situation – you know, it was a number of years ago now, but a, a good friend of mine, exact same thing, right? Is He, he emailed me and said, yeah, I you know, bought a $750,000 term policy. And I said, well – you know, he just bought a house. He had two young kids. I said, well, how did you come up with 750 He said, well, the insurance guy said I needed a lot more, but I thought he was just trying to sell me more more insurance. I said, no, he was probably pretty close to accurate, and yeah. now you're underinsured. Yeah. You know? And that's not an uncommon thing. I think one of the things we see, especially when you see a situation where somebody uh, dies prematurely and leaves the spouse, the big house, the kids, most people are underinsured. They don't have enough insurance to get themselves through that time where, like you said, Matt, the kids are still at the house. We need to send them to college. We're trying to hold on to the house and keep them in, in town. Most people are not adequately insured for that. Yeah. The, the other big de- deficiency people have in their financial plans, and it gets down to priorities and allocating resources, is that a lot of times our insurances are tied to our employment. Mm-hmm. And we stay working for a company, the insurance, the life insurance, the disability insurance might be in place. But 
Possibly when we leave that job, the insurance ends, or we'd have to pick it up, perhaps. But if we have to start over again and we happen to you know, lose our job at, at 55, 60, 63 years old, and you have to go out and replace those policies, like Mike said earlier, now you might have pre-existing conditions, you're older, might be a lot more difficult to get. So as we go through the financial plan process, we, we have to decide, well, do we duplicate some of the insurances that we have at work with personally owned policies, or do we just pray that we're able to stay working and, and keep those policies in place? It's it's a challenging part of the financial plan. Well, along those lines, too, people often see those policies that are, are benefits through an employment as they'll cover it all, right? So you might have group term life through through work. And somebody may say, oh, I'm already insured. I, I don't need anything else. I have it through work. But oftentimes those policies are, are you know, don't even come close to what you actually need. But then it, it, I was, I'm kind of laughing to myself because I have group uh, term policy through work, but my insurance needs like zero. I don't have any dependents or anything. So I almost use it as like a leveraging chip to my siblings, which, you know, which sibling <laughs> will, will get the life insurance policy. Oh, you got to go do these errands or whatever if you want to cut. So, And another important point with respect to the work provided group term life, especially for someone like myself, age 63, when you're insured for more than $50,000, the cost of that insurance premium is a taxable event on your W-2. And as you get older, that cost of that premium, even though it's a group policy, gets more and more expensive. So you're getting whacked for a tax on a pretty good amount of money for this insurance that you're paying for. Right. So yeah, I think, you know, on the term insurance, I think those are all good points. I think the other, you know, type of insurance that Matt mentioned was, you know, there's a couple of different types of permanent insurance. And to me, as I said earlier, I think the, the the point of them is a little different sometimes, right? Like when we look at estate planning, permanent insurance becomes a bigger part of it. And you know, there's a couple of different areas in which we've used it in the past, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And one of them is, you know, if you have somebody who has a, a sizable estate, so in Massachusetts, you can have up to a million dollars of assets when you die before you pay estate tax. And the, the risk you run is when you have somebody that has that million dollars of assets in, say, real estate. Right? They have a couple of pieces of property. It's worth over a million dollars. They pass away. There's a sizable Massachusetts estate tax to pay, but there's no cash available to pay it right? because they just have these pieces of property. So then you get into this situation where the heirs have to you know, rush to sell a piece of property to pay the tax. It's not, it's not a situation you want to be in. So the permanent insurance is a perfect vehicle to say, okay, let's take out this insurance to give some liquidity to the estate so that in the event that there's an estate tax, they have cash on hand to go ahead and pay that tax. And you can set it up in different ways through, you know, irrevocable trusts and things like that, where it's not necessarily included as a taxable piece of that estate. And, you know, there's some approaches you can take to make it tax efficient, but it at least gives the heirs the ability to pay that tax without having a rush to liquidate property. And I think life insurance, especially permanent insurance, being more expensive, kind of gets a bad rap, maybe because the people that sometimes sell the product aren't always looking at the whole picture and it comes across as if they're just trying to sell a commission-based product. We don't sell any products. We refer people out to no, no commission uh, situations on the life insurance. But when it comes down to life insurance, you want to try to structure it in such a way, keeping in mind that there is no income tax on the death benefit. And like Mike suggested, if we put the policy into an irrevocable life insurance trust, There'll be no estate tax on that policy either. And those are two big, big pluses. The other thing I'll say to people, 
kind of half jokingly but half seriously, if you think about all the things you insure for during the course of your life, there is only one thing that you could insure for that is guaranteed to happen. Your house might not burn down. You may not have your car stolen. You might never be disabled. You might never go into the nursing home. But you are guaranteed to die if you have a life insurance policy on your life at your death. Somebody's getting a check. Right. What a cheery thought. At least, at least so far. <laughs> you will die. <laughs> Is that why all the clients come out of your meetings crying? <laughs> Yeah, and one of the things that, you know, Joe and I have talked about a number of times in the past is, you know, we, whenever we do financial plans for clients, a lot of times they'll say things like, oh, I want to make sure I have money to leave the kids, or what if I need a nursing home, or, or things like that. And and they look at the assets that they have and want to kind of carve out a chunk of those to cover those what those scenarios. And when you think about it, life insurance and long-term care insurance are kind of cheaper and easier ways to accomplish that, right? Is if you have a certain amount you want to leave to the kids, well, just buy a life insurance policy for that amount. And now you don't have to constantly worry about making sure you don't spend down your assets. You know, you have it covered as long as you pay the premiums on the life insurance and long-term care is the same way. If, if needing a, a nursing, a nursing home care is a concern of yours and worrying about that eating into the amount you're going to leave to your heirs, well, you know, take out a long-term care policy that's going to cover most, most or all of your expenses in long-term care. And then it's not necessarily something you have to set aside money for. And I guess that's a good lead into to long-term care in general. And the idea of long-term care insurance is, is kind of like any other insurance, right? You pay a premium for the insurance policy. And if you need long-term care services, it will give you a benefit with which to cover those expenses. And that can be, for the most part, you know, nursing home care itself in a facility. It can be at-home care. It can be skilled care. It, it, different policies have different coverages. But for the most part, you can insure for any type of long-term care scenario that, that you might be worried about. Yeah, and that can be, long-term care itself can be mind-bogglingly expensive, right? I mean, I've heard stories of, of like $10,000 a month or something. That's cheap. <laughs> yeah. I, we, we had a client a, a number of years ago who was paying probably closer to seventeen, eighteen $18,000 a month oh for, for a facility. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like any other insurance. And we always, I always tell clients is it's one of those things where if you end up needing it, it's the best investment you'll ever make. If you don't end up needing it, then it was the, you paid for the peace of mind of knowing it was there. Yeah. Plus you've paid to provide for somebody who does unfortunately need it, which yeah. is how all of insurance works. Yeah, you're pooling your risk. Yeah, you're pooling your risk. And uh, I, I, I think life, long-term care insurance and life insurance, which you touched on earlier, Somebody once said to me that those two products, if you have them in place, are sort of permission slips, as Mike said. The, the two questions that the, these policies will answer is, will I be able to leave something to my children or grandchildren? The life insurance will do that. And will I be able to have enough money to take care of myself in the later years if I do no, need to go into a nursing home? And the life insurance and the long-term care insurance will provide for those so then, you know, my wife and I are free to spend our money on ourselves, knowing that we've already taken care of those two things. Right. And at the same time, you know, we, we always try to tie in the financial aspect along with the psychological aspect, right? And Mike said it a second ago, if you have these policies in place, you're, you're probably going to sleep a heck of a lot better at night, right? I mean, not having to worry about, oh, my God, I think I'm, I'm starting to kind of slip and I might have to go into a nursing home or whatever. And how are my kids going to handle this and all that? It's, it's, it's really just... You're not only paying for the financial protection, but you are paying for the peace of mind. 
And you're, you're also paying for the, a different type of peace of mind. A lot of advisors, and there's nothing wrong with this, but they take the approach of, okay, you spent your whole life building up your estate. Now let's hide it. Let's give it all away. Let's protect it from the nursing home. Do you really want to spend your whole life accumulating assets and then <laughs> ditching them and hiding them and, and spending them down? Yeah. Well, how about just insuring for it and then keeping the money and having a proper estate plan that you know, minimizes the probate, minimizes the estate tax, but allows you to still control the assets? Right. Yeah, and I think you know the other piece too is as everything else, these are all you know parts of an overall financial plan. And the way when we do a financial plan, we look at it's kind of probability based, right? We look at the the odds of success based on what you're currently doing versus some changes we might think are necessary. And you know the way I look at it is, if your plan works, even including these insurance policies, there's almost no reason not to do it, right? Because you know there is a chance that if you don't have long term care, say and you do incur some sizable long-term care needs in the future, that could potentially derail the plan. So if the plan works paying for the insurance, it's almost a no-brainer to pay for the insurance because it's just one less thing that could derail the plan. Right, exactly. So that leaves us with uh, disability insurance, and there are two types of disability insurance, long-term disability and short-term disability. Short-term disability typically will cover a year or two. Long-term disability could maybe take you to age 65. So there's a big difference between the two. Difference in the cost as well because of the coverage. There's also the concept of the elimination period or the waiting period, meaning you might have a short-term disability policy that doesn't kick in for 90 days or six months or whatever it might be. And then after that, you will be covered. Same with the long-term plan. You might have a, a, a situation where there is a waiting period and elimination period. But you need to be aware that what you have through work might be short-term, might be long-term, maybe you have both, but you need to consider the fact that if you get disabled, you could be disabled for the rest of your working life. And I think, you know, two things, right? One is, I think statistically, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, but statistically you're more likely to need disability insurance than you are life insurance, right? More people get disabled than die at a young age, essentially. So a lot of people focus on life insurance and have life insurance, but don't even give a second thought to disability. I think the other thing, Joe, is is when you're looking at these policies, there's also this concept of, you know, your occupation versus any occupation, right? So, right. you know, if you have a, a, a very physical a job or occupation, you are you might be able to get a disability policy that says we will get, we will insure you if you can't do that specific job, or they'll insure you if it says you can't do any job. You know, and those two things are, are totally different because. You don't want to be in a position where you think that if you get disabled, you have coverage, and really you have a, you know, an, an any job policy that says, okay, we'll only cover you if we don't think there's any job you could do, and you know you might not be able to do your job, but they think you could do something else. Just a matter of whether you actually want to do that other other job or not. So I, I you know, I think for anybody who is you know gainfully employed or, or especially younger people who have a longer working life ahead of them it makes these things even more important. Disability, life insurance, you know, long-term care people tend to think of for as for older people. And, you know, Joe's right. I mean, you know, it does get old, more expensive as you get older, so it's better to buy younger, but obviously you're going to pay for it for a longer time frame. But, you know, these are just important concepts to keep in mind to kind of look at your overall financial plan and say, all right, where do these fit in? What do I need? You know, talk to an advisor to tell you, kind of help you quantify what you need because disability is the same thing as life, Right the amount of disability insurance you need might not be exactly what you think it is. You know, again, if, if you have a, a high paying job, if you got disabled, there might be 
expenses that would go away, or, or maybe there's more expenses if you had medical needs or something like that. So you kind of got to try to quantify what that income need is going to be to think about what you might need for disability insurance, what you might need for life insurance. So we just wanted to at least touch on all the different types and kind of give you some things to think about. And as I said earlier, it's a prioritizing process to put together a perfect plan. Many of us don't make enough money to cover all the bases. So the now the question is, what are you most concerned about? The disability, the life insurance, the long-term care, saving for retirement, putting the kids through school, paying down the mortgage? You know, where do you want to allocate your resources? But having a plan, we can do all, like Mike said, the what-ifs to say, what if this happens, what if that happens, to try to help you prioritize which of those concerns we probably should address first. Right. So again, like, you know, like we do on most of these podcasts, we've only really scratched the surface here. And, and the goal is not to answer all of your questions, but almost to percolate more questions, right? We want you to start thinking about these things. We want you to start exploring these different options. And if you need any help with it, definitely reach out to either us or a different financial advisor, because that's what they're there for. With that said, we look forward to speaking to you again on the next podcast. And until then, take care. Financers is produced and edited by Sachetta and Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash financers. S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.